Please take your uh, copies of the scriptures and open them with me, if you would, to start in Isaiah chapter 45. Isaiah chapter 45. And uh, we're going to be speaking a little bit tonight about um, kind of a different perspective than what Pastor Jeremy spoke about this morning. It's always amazing to me how you can prepare something and God dovetails that. Um, where we talked about how our identities are formed this morning, where our identity comes from. Uh, tonight, we're going to be talking about God's identity. But we live in a world that's filled with lots and lots of choices. It seems like there are more and more choices in our day and age um, than, than we could possibly ever imagine. And, you know, it used to be you would go to the grocery store and there were only so many aisles. They just keep growing because there are so many things now that from which you can choose to buy. We're going to talk a little bit to start here about uh, one that I find near and dear uh, to my heart, maybe to some of you, and that's Oreo cookies. <laughs> I, I grew up in an era where you had a choice. You had real Oreo cookies. Or there were, some of you know where I'm going with this, Hydrox cookies. <laughs> and Hydrox cookies were okay. They would do in a pinch. You kept them in the back of the pantry so that if you ran out of the real Oreos, there were some, some Hydroxes that you could go to. But otherwise, uh, you know, you had Oreos on hand. Oreos have gotten out of hand, I have to say. They've gotten a little crazy, so I decided that I would do some heavy-duty research on the various kinds of Oreos um, in preparation for tonight, which has also had a bad side effect because now any web page I go to or Facebook I look at, suddenly there are ads for Oreos flashing up in the corner. Here are some of the regular kinds of Oreos, the original. And this isn't even counting like double stuff and mega stuff, right? These are just the flavors. Original, chocolate cream, golden, strawberry cheesecake, red velvet cream, birthday cake, peanut butter, mint, lemon cream, peanut butter pie, carrot cake. Really? Anyway. Dark chocolate, yes. Cookie butter, cherry cola. Chocolate cream golden, kettle corn, heads or tails double stuff. That's chocolate on one side and golden on the other. And then they came out with thin bites, which have their own special flavors on them, like fudge-dipped coconut, latte cream, and pistachio cream. But wait, there's more. <laughs> there are limited edition Oreos, like marshmallow moon, s'mores, cookie dough, chocolate hazelnut, ice cream rainbow, spring sandwich, fruity crisp, strawberry shortcake, filled cupcake, brownie batter, marshmallow crispy cream, cotton candy, key lime pie, pumpkin spice, of course, gingerbread, berry burst ice cream, limeade, lemon twist, caramel apple, Reese's, peppermint cream, Mississippi mud pie, chocolate strawberry, watermelon, Banana split, creamsicle, waffles and syrup, buttered popcorn, fruit punch, hot and spicy cinnamon, fireworks, Rocky Road, Peeps, jelly donut, and Swedish fish. <laughs> That's not even the exhaustive list, folks. That's, those are just the highlights. And in the Asian market, if you should be there, here's a few. Raspberry, blueberry, orange mango, wasabi, 
and hot chicken wings, Oreos. And now you can even design your own. You can contact Oreo, I know this because of a Facebook ad I got, where you can go to the website and design what your Oreo should look like. So it used to be you went to the store, right, and you bought Oreos. Now there's just a plethora of Oreos everywhere. And we live in a culture where we're accustomed to having so many different choices to what we do, and we just get to select what we want. So when it comes to the topic of God, and how we understand God, and how we interact with God, and how we think about God, many people think of it like it's some sort of great big buffet, and really I'm not that hungry tonight, folks, but it's like some great big buffet where you go in and you select something from each of a bunch of different religions, and you can somehow take some meditation from over here, or you can take something from over there, or you can take some liturgy from over here, and you put it all together on your plate, and you say, this is how I worship. This is what worship is about for me. And folks, tonight I'd like us to look in chapters 40 through 45 of the book of Isaiah to really understand how God defines himself so that we understand God is not defined by what we choose. God is not who we say he is. God is who he is, no matter what you or I think about that. <clears throat> I also read an article in Psychiatry Today. It's entitled, Why Do Humans Keep Inventing Gods to Worship? And their three key points are this. At least 18,000 different gods, goddesses, and various animals or objects have been worshipped by humans. Spirituality or, religious or religiosity has been mapped to a brain circuit that was centered on a brain region called the paraaqueductrial gray. So feel free to put that in your, in, your, uh, uh, in your pocket, and when you're having a conversation, say, that's just not resonating with my paraaqueductial gray. But here's their conclusion. This brain circuit and the apparent importance of the paraaqueductial gray may have evolved to encourage altruistic behaviors and reduce fear. In other words, Somehow, evolution rewired your brain to use a special part of it to be able to respond in some way to fear. And so for many people, that's the creation of a god. The god that you and I serve is not the creation of our minds. He is not someone that you and I choose to make him. He is not somehow a, a, an entity that we get to decide what he's like. His word tells us who he is, and he is self-defined. And so we're going to talk tonight about what that really means. What does it mean to know who our God is? And I'm going to try to use the clicker correctly. And if not, we'll just move right on. We're going to move right on. Spent too much time on Oreos, not enough time on the, on the remote. So in Isaiah chapter 45, we're going to hone in just at our start at verse 5, where it says, I am the Lord, and there is no other. There is no God beside me. Personally, for me, this passage has 
a great deal of meaning simply because when I, my family came to know Christ, this is one of the first messages that I ever heard preached by a pastor was on, I am God and there is none else. And this phrase tells us some things about God as we ponder this question tonight, why would anyone choose to worship and serve God? Maybe the better way to phrase that is, why should anyone choose to worship and to serve God? And so there are two key ideas here. The first is this, that phrase in verse five, the first phrase, I am the Lord. I am the Lord. If you notice in your Bibles, that's in small caps, that's a reference to God's personal name, the name we sometimes call Yahweh or Jehovah, and we ought to handle with extreme care. God says, don't use that name carelessly or frivolously. But he makes the claim here that I am God. Throughout these chapters in Isaiah, he makes the claim, I am God. So he's not just saying, I'm God because I'm God. He's saying, here's my personal name. I am Jehovah, and I am the one who is God. We are not to be the people who identify who God is. He says, I am God. I'm the only one. And that's the second part of this this verse in verse 5. I am Jehovah, and there is no other. There is no God beside me. And so that leads us to an understanding that there is no God like him. He's it. He's the, he's the only one. We don't get to define who he is. He says, I am God, and not only am I God, there is no other God like me. You can call something God. You can make it what you think it ought to be. You can make a graven image and call it God, but it's not God. He says, I am God, and there is none like me. And our world keeps telling us that we can define what is. That if we just say something is true, that makes it true. If we feel like it means something, then it obviously does mean something. And so our identity becomes what we feel it is rather than what it actually is. And even God's identity is what we think or feel that it is. And yet, God reminds us, I self-define myself, and I am who I am. And that's what his name is. The word Jehovah means I am that I am. It is not I am that you want me to be. It is not I am what you feel. It's not I am what you've researched or thought. It's not I am what the most people say is true. God says I am that I am. Just thinking that something is true doesn't make it so. I, I had a friend in college. I was just getting to know him and we were sitting there and we were talking about really great things of importance like sports and what the girls on campus were like. And I remember saying to him, so, you know, what do you think, you know, do you have somebody in your life? He goes, oh, yeah, there's this one young woman and he named her and he said, you know, I, I, think, I think we're going to have this great life together 
um, we've got it planned, we've got it planned, and we're, we're going to do this, and we're going to live in this place, and we're going to have a house, practically the white picket fence story, and we're going to have three kids. And I said, how long have you been dating? He said, oh, we haven't dated. So as a matter of fact, I really haven't gotten up the courage to talk to her yet. But I'm going to one of these days. She married somebody else for some reason. I don't know why. But just assuming and thinking and wishing that she was going to his partner did make it so. Wishing he had a relationship did make it so. And while our world tells us you just think what you want to think, you make it what you want to make it, God says, I am God. I am the one. And don't you mess with who I am. In the Ten Commandments, what's the first commandment? Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Why? Because he's it. And so when we think about the reality of worship and why we would worship and serve Jehovah, he is the only God. Well, if that's the case, then what does that do for us? How does that help us live in our everyday lives. Well, we're going to look at some, some verses and we're going to lift just a few themes out of Isaiah 40 through Isaiah 45. We could have lifted dozens out of this passage. This is not an extensive list, but I'd, I'd like to share with you the reasons, five reasons why it is that worship and serving the true God is actually beneficial to us. If we go back to Isaiah chapter 40, Isaiah chapter 40, this is actually a, a movement at this point into a new section where after Isaiah had confronted God's people, the nation of Israel, with uh, their sin and their rebellion and their worship of other gods and tells them that there's going to be judgment, Isaiah chapters 40 through 66 are a section where God offers comfort to his people who should be aware that judgment is coming because of their rebellion. And so in, in verse 1 of chapter 40, this section begins with comfort. Yes, comfort my people, says your God. Reason number one is that God provides authentic comfort. True comfort in what we experience in life only comes through the nature and the character of the God that we serve. In Isaiah chapter 43, and we'll move to a couple of passages in the section, we won't move around a lot, but in Isaiah 43, verses 1 through 4, Israel's reminded, verse 1, But now thus says the Lord who created you, O Jacob, and he who formed you, O Israel, fear not. For I have redeemed you. I have called you by your name. You are mine. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And through the rivers, they shall not overflow you. When you walk through the fire, you shall not be burned, nor shall the flame scorch you. For I am Jehovah, your God, the Lord, your God, the Holy One of Israel, your Savior. I gave Egypt for your ransom, Ethiopia and Seba in your place, since you were precious in my sight. You have been honored, and I have loved you. Therefore, I will give men for you and people for your life. 
What an amazing time of comfort. As they're about to go into some difficult days, God says, when you face the fire, I'll be there. When you go through deep waters, I will be there. And the reason is because I've called you and I've made you my people and I'm never going to abandon you. What an encouragement for us as believers to know that the eternal God, the God from the beginning and end, the God who self-defines, is not only interested in us as a congregation or as a people, but he knows us by name. And he cares about the things with which we are dealing in our everyday lives. He gives reassurance in the middle of our difficulties. Sometimes in the middle of our difficulties, we think God's forgotten us or he's off somewhere, he's, he's busy doing something else. And the reality is God is there and he says, I'm never going to leave you. As Pastor Jeremy talked about this morning, we take, take faith and we trust in what God has said he's going to do. We, we live in light of what he's promised to do for us. And he's promised to be with us and to take care of us. And so for Israel, when we look in the Old Testament, there is reassurance in our difficulty because God gives authentic comfort. Secondly, in chapter 44, verses 21 and 22, we see that God extends a genuine calling. God extends a genuine calling. In uh, verses 21 and 22, it says, Remember these, O Jacob, and Israel, for you are my servant. I have formed you. You are my servant. O Israel, you will not be forgotten by me. I have blotted out like a thick cloud your transgressions and like a cloud your sins. Return to me, for I have redeemed you. In chapter 41, verse 8, you don't have to turn there, but God refers to Israel as Jacob, whom I have chosen. God extends a genuine calling to his people. It's not that somehow we stumbled into our relationship with God. God initiated it. While we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. God extended a relationship to us, and he wants to have a personal, intimate, detailed relationship with us because he loves us and because he desires our fellowship. We have a genuine calling from God to live and to serve a true and a holy and a righteous God. And of all the truths of Scripture that I have a hard time wrapping my brain around, that may be the toughest for me, is to think that God knows me as I am, that God knew me from the foundation of the world, and yet God still loved me. And God brought me close to him, and he said, I want, to, I want you to be my child. I want to make you an heir. I want to prepare a place for you in heaven. What a wonderful truth. God extends a genuine calling to us. A third reason where we, we will see that this true God serving him is, is good for us is that God demonstrates complete control. If we look at here in chapter, the end of chapter 44 and into chapter 45, God at the end of chapter 44 and beginning the first few verses of 45 talk, talks about a king named Cyrus. He calls him in verse 1 of 45, thus says the Lord to his anointed, to Cyrus, whose right hand I have held. What's interesting about this is Cyrus wouldn't be born and ruled for another 150 years. God is speaking to a foreign king and telling him, and in extension to us, he's telling us 
that he is going to do something through Cyrus. If we go back to chapter 44 and we begin at verse 24, thus says the Lord your Redeemer and he who formed you from the womb, I am the Lord who makes all things, who stretches out the heavens all alone, who spreads abroad the earth by myself, who frustrates the sign of the babblers and drives diviners mad, who turns wise men backward and makes their knowledge foolishness, who confirms the word of his servant and performs the counsel of his messengers, who says to Jerusalem, you shall be inhabited. To the cities of Judah, you shall be built, and I will raise up her waste places. Who says to the deep, be dry, and I will dry up your rivers. Who says of Cyrus, this coming king, he is my shepherd and he shall perform all my pleasure, saying to Jerusalem, you shall be built, and to the temple your foundation shall be laid. Thirdly, God demonstrates complete control. God is in charge of everything. There is nothing that comes about in our world that God missed or has forgotten. There's no news article that we open and read and we say, oh, oh, what's going to happen now? God's like, I know. I've got it all in control. I'm working everything after the counsel of my own will. No matter who is elected this November, no matter how strongly you may feel about it, God is ultimately in control. No matter how discouraged you may be in your life or how circumstances may feel like there's no way around them, God is ultimately in control. And so God says in, in verse 2 of verse 45, or chapter 45, I will go before you and make the crooked places straight. I will break in pieces the gates of bronze and cut the bars of iron. I will give you, he's speaking to Cyrus here, the treasures of darkness and hidden riches of secret places that you may know that I, the Lord, who call you by your name, am the God of Israel. There was Cyrus, I'm going to make it very clear. I am the God of Israel, and what you do is because I command it, and you will do it because I am in control. Verse 4, for Jacob, my servant's sake, and Israel, my elect, I have even called you by your name. I have named you, though you have not known me. And this is the context of that verse 5. I am the Lord and there is no other. There is no God besides me. I will gird you, though you have not known me, that they may know from the rising of the sun to its setting that there is none besides me. I am the Lord and there is no other. I form the light and create darkness. I make peace and create calamity. I, the Lord, do all these things. For 44 chapters, basically, in the book of Isaiah, we've seen the sinfulness of men, and God here reminds Israel, I'm in control. Don't forget it. Don't forget it. Don't forget that I am ultimately the one who controls everything and knows everything. If we move down in chapter 45 to verse 18, we come up with a fourth reason why worshiping and serving God is beneficial to us, because he's the only God, well then, why should I follow him? Is it just because I have to, because there's no other option? No, ver the, the fourth point here is this, the fourth reason, God authored and sustains creation. There's everything in the world that exists, God created it. He knows how it works. He knows how the human heart works. He knows how our brains work. He knows how society functions. He knows the traffic patterns that you're going to experience on the way home. I'm sorry about that, that you're going to have to experience those, but God knows better, right? 
And verse 18 reminds us here, for thus says the Lord who created the heavens, who is God, who formed the earth and made it, who has established it, who did not create it in vain, who formed it to be inhabited. I am the Lord and there is no other. I have not spoken in secret in a dark place of the earth. I did not say to the seed of Jacob, seek me in vain. I, the Lord, speak righteousness. I declare things that are right. God says, I'm in control of creation. I made the world. And I didn't proclaim that I am God to Jacob in vain so that Jacob would have nothing from this. I proclaim this because I am God and I know and I sustain the creation that you see around you. So when we think that there's some change happening in our world or there's something awful that's occurring within the physical world that we see or within society, God says, I created everything and I know it and I'm in charge of it. And I didn't do this in secret. I'm in charge and I am God and there is none else. So when you're dealing with that health difficulty or that struggle, God knows about it. He formed you. He knew what you were going to be formed like, even all the way back to the womb. And lastly here, our last reason in chapter 45, verse 19, those last couple of phrases, I, the Lord, speak righteousness. I declare things that are right. And it is this, God offers true counsel. When God says something, it's true. We don't always see how it's going to work out. We don't always see how God is going to answer our prayers. We don't always know what situations are going to come down the pike. And sometimes we get hit with something that's unexpected and we think, wow, I didn't see that coming. Where do I go for real support? Well, God says that he speaks righteousness and declares things that are right. In the Garden of Gethsemane, as Jesus was praying and he was praying for his disciples, he said, he said, Lord, sanctify them through thy truth. Thy word is truth. God speaks things that are right and true, where our world keeps telling us things that really are not true. If only you would just believe this, just follow your heart. God says, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? We want to go with what feels right or what seems good or what, what we like or what's comfortable for us. God sometimes tells us truths that are really not very comfortable. But you know what? They're true. And we can have every confidence in the counsel of God when we read his word, when we study what he has to say. We can have confidence in it. And lots of times, Christians, even those of us who know the Lord and have walked with the Lord, we, we try to come up with our own counsel. We want to come up with a better way of doing it. I can't tell you how many times I've talked to the Lord and told him how he should do things. Right? And you've probably done that too. Lord, if you could just arrange it to go this way, that would be perfect. And God says, oh yeah? I keep telling the Lord, I will not go to and be a part of Waikiki Baptist Church. I'm not going to Hawaii, Lord. God knows my heart. God knows what I really think. But his counsel, his word, his direction is true. And if we follow it, it's the very best way of life. And sometimes we think, well, God, how, how much, when I look at your word, how much do I have to do to be really successful? 
And God says, he said to Joshua, this book of the law shall not depart out of thy mouth. You shall meditate therein. And God said you should, should study it so that you can observe to do all that is written therein. For then you will have great success. God gives us strong counsel and true counsel that we can count on. And so because he's almighty God, because he's creator, because he knows everything, because he's self-existent, what he tells us is true even when it's not particularly comfortable. And so I share this with you not as a means to make you afraid of our God. He wants a personal relationship with us. But I share it because there are a lot of people out there who are seeking something, seeking these kinds of things in a God that can't fulfill them in the God of pleasure, in the God of education, in the God of money, in the God of other relationships, whatever it may be, the true God is the only one who knows how to provide all these things and will do it for us. I want to share the story. I, I used to work at an Ivy League college. Uh, I won't give you the name. It sounds like Smartmouth. Um, but I worked at this college. And, and one year, I was assigned a task to, uh, we were going to bring, our particular part of the college was going to bring the Nobel Peace Prize winner to campus to speak. And so I was tasked with making the arrangements, settling everything. I had to set up a press conference. Um, there was a group with students, and there was a public uh, presentation and speech by the Nobel Peace Prize winner. She was from Kenya, and she had helped to develop a plan to replant trees because the deserts were growing as trees were cut down. That was the way people got rich, was, was through wood and through wood products. And she was concerned that there weren't enough trees being planted in their place, and so she developed this means of planting trees, and for that she won the Nobel Peace Prize. And she came, very interesting. I got to sit and chat with her and her daughter and uh, her administrative assistant. We had a great time. We had a couple hundred students show up. Everything went really well. And after the event, it was my job to make sure that she received her honorarium payment. So I filled out the form for the honorarium payment, and I sent it over to the accounts payable department, and I said, ha, I'm done. What a great event. And about three days later, I got one of those inter-office envelopes back, you know, the kind of have lots of lines on it and the little round thing on the back with the string tied around it. And I thought, hi, I wonder what this is. It was from accounts payable, and I opened it up, and here was my form that I'd filled out very carefully with a big red stamp on it that said, rejected. And I remember thinking, she's already been here. We've already committed to pay this. Why wouldn't they pay it? So I pick up the phone and I called accounts payable and they said, well, it's because over a certain dollar amount, you are required to fill out in triplicate the sole source justification form. And I said, what does that mean? And they say, well, anything over a certain dollar amount, you have to get competitive bids for this. And so you need to explain in detail why you didn't get competitive bids to bring her to campus. And in my nicest flesh creeping up a little voice, I said, oh, you want me to fill out a form in triplicate because, I don't know, she's the only one? And the voice at the other end of the line said, yes, that's actually what we need. 
So I sat there in front of my computer. I might have banged the keys a little harder than I normally am. I might have said the words stupid bureaucracy a number of times from my desk, thinking, those financial people, who in the world in their right mind would be a financial person? <clears throat> They're crazy, those people. But I had to get it, and I sent it through. I put the form in triplicate, and I got a note, thank you, the payment is being processed. And so sometimes people ask, why should I serve God? Why should I serve the God that you have? And I want to say the same thing. I don't know. Because he's the only one? He's it. He's the only God that there is. He's the only one who can bring you satisfaction and peace and eternal life. He's the only God that can control the universe around us and who's promised to give you a relationship that will last for all eternity with him. The bigger question is, why would you not want to serve and worship that God? He's the only one and is the source of all we need. And he's the one who's worthy of worship. Let's pray together. Father, thank you. Thank you for your love and for your grace. Thank you for reaching into our lives. Thank you for meeting all of our needs, even the ones we don't even know about. Thank you for redeeming us. Thank you for being in relationship with us. Thank you, Father, for eternity. And we thank you that the God that we serve, we thank you that you are the only one, that you are God and there is none else. So to you and only to you, we give all worship and praise. Through the name of Christ our Savior, we pray. Amen.